Join us on Tuesdays this fall for the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith television show on Circle TV, hosted by country music superstar Lauren Elena. Each week, we'll talk with people from all walks of life about their heartaches, their victories, their joy, and their pain, and how their faith kept them going through it all. You don't want to miss it. Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time and re-airing Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern this fall on Circle TV. Visit JesusCalling.com TV to find out how to watch in your area. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for a special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. I could tell anybody out there hurting that our go-to for us was Christ. Clay, he's gone. We've got great memories. He was awesome, he's taught us a lot, but then this whole story has brought us to Christ and all of a sudden, now we got hope. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. It's a sad truth that every person is united by a common experience, loss. No matter how long we live, the people we love will not always be with us. But even as our hearts are scarred by grief, God offers us a cord of hope because he promises there's life beyond the one we're in. And he'll walk with us every step of the way until we reach our forever home with him. We're joined this week by hit country music songwriter Casey Beathard, along with two of his sons, C.J. Beathard, a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, and country music artist Tucker Beathard. As a close-knit family of seven, the Beathard kids grew up doing homeschooling work side-by-side at the table and spending many afternoons on the sidelines of NFL practice fields and in the studio watching their dad record. But the family of seven became six in December of 2019 as the Beathards lost a son and brother, 19-year-old Clay, to a fatal stabbing. As they mourned, the Beathards searched desperately for hope, and the foundation they had built long ago on faith and family was the bedrock that held them up while discovering that forgiveness had the power to give life back to their family. My name is Casey Beathard. I moved to Nashville back in 1991 to chase a singing and songwriting career in country music. And what a great place to live. My name is CJ Beathard. I'm the oldest of five, and uh, I play quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. I'm Tucker Beathard. 
I am the second brother and sibling of five in this family, and I write songs and perform and am a country artist and writer. I grew up with a father in, in the NFL, different capacities, but ultimately a scout when I was very young with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they went to the very first Super Bowl, so I went to the very first Super Bowl as a baby. And so that's one of my first claim to fame. And then from there, my dad got other jobs, became uh, the player personnel director for the Miami Dolphins when they had in their heyday, where they went undefeated, the only team ever to be undefeated. And uh, he worked in tandem with the legendary Don Chula and got players and Don coached them and they had a great run there, and then he moved up to the general manager of the Redskins. He and Joe Gibbs had a great run there, and from there, the San Diego Chargers, and they went back to the Super Bowl there. I grew up in that world of, of football as a kid, just running around barefoot on football fields, and I didn't know anything better, and all my heroes, I would say, you would think would have been all those football players, but they became so normal to me. My mom's thing was singing. So I, I, you know, when I wasn't on a football field or running around, throwing a ball, playing sports as a kid with my brothers, I was singing with my mom. And that was probably my deep down real passion. But uh, I, I remember being a kid and, and thinking, well, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a football player and a singer at the same time, or I don't know what I'll be first, but I, I, I had a feeling maybe that's what I wanted to be. It's a crazy blessed life that maybe I even took for granted to be able to just all my summers, all my days were eating in the cafeteria with a pro football team or being on a football field in the afternoon from six years old till I got through college, you know, and then I got to play through college. So as my dad was still working with the Falcons and the, and the chargers, they got to as kids as gigantic fans of sports if we weren't out in San Diego when he was there, we were down in Atlanta when he was there, and they were doing the same thing. I, that was the one of the coolest things I ever got to witness was watching what I got to do as a kid, them get to do. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, just growing up around football, it really kind of molded me. That's what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew at a really young age that I wanted to play football in the NFL. And my whole life, anytime anybody would ask me, from when I was four to high school, my answer never changed. I was like, I want to play in the NFL. And then, uh, I mean, I went through a phase there in high school. My freshman year, I was 5'7", 113 pounds on my freshman football roster. And uh, people would ask me, yeah, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to play football in the NFL. And people would be like, okay, well, what if that doesn't work out? I'm like, I, it, it's going like, to, that's, that's all I had. That's, that's going to work out. Like, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. And, that's just all I wanted to do. It, it was crazy because he never he never wavered. The funny thing is that's like the faith of a child, you know. Growing up, he just, well, I'm going to do this. But, like, my two favorite players growing up were Junior Seau and Rodney Harrison. They were with the Chargers, like the leaders of that team. My grandpa was there. So I just remember growing up and just kind of seeing how they handled themselves, the leaders they were in the weight room, like how hard they worked. And it was just like that was real inspirational to me. Just I remember that like vividly. I remember going to their training camps, watching them on the field, and I would always have you know the junior sale jersey on and seeing Rodney and Junior 
um, and just how awesome they were to us, to the kids. And I remember one time we were in California at my grandpa's house, and Junior Seau came over to his house and hung out with us, and it was just one of those things that really made an impact on me for the rest of my life. Susan and I, we didn't have anything. We didn't have much. We had a couple dreams, and we were chasing it. Everything we did was uh, together. Growing up for us, I mean, I feel super blessed to be surrounded by, like, right in the middle of two brothers. I mean, me and CJ are only 14 months apart, and Clay was two years apart. So always having um, your best friends around, being able to always keep each other busy, keep competing, and just being outside and I couldn't have asked for a better childhood, you know, or a better situation to grow up around as many siblings as we did. We were homeschooled for like our whole life, so we were always like around each other. I mean, me and Tucker would sit at the, at the table and my mom would teach us. And, you know, unfortunately for him, we ended up doing the same curriculum. So he had to kind of <laughs> step it up a little bit. But it was always awesome because we were always together doing school. And I mean, God bless my mom for having to carry around four, four kids. You know, start around home schools for. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then Tucker was unreal at drums. Clay was a better guitar player than I was. I was three, four years older than Clay, and he was better than I was at guitar, especially at his age. He was in third grade. Tucker was in fifth grade. I was in seventh grade when we started our band. We had a band, and we did, like, our school talent shows and stuff, and we were actually we were really good for our age. Like, we wrote our own music, made our own songs. They weren't, like, that good, but it was cool that we made our own music. I was actually the lead singer. I remember begging Tucker. I was like, dude, Tucker, can you be the singer? He's like, dude, no, I'm the drum. I'm like, I do not want to sing, but I guess I have to. So I played guitar and sang. Clay was the more, like, guitar guy, like, soloist, did the more cool stuff. And Tucker was a drummer. And we did shows. And even up until high school, we did some, like, fundraiser stuff. And, and then that's when I kind of got serious with football. Growing up, Clay was obviously uh, the third oldest of our family, the the youngest brother. So, I mean, I feel like um, me and Tuck, we early on we created a bond because we were always usually on the same sports teams, the same, you know, we were 14 months apart. So we did a lot together. And Clay grew up uh, just really into athletics as well and also into the music thing. Clay uh... – Somehow, I mean, he he just, I don't know, he just had his own thing. He's just his own guy. And it started to become, okay, if you guys are going to do that, I'm going to be me. I don't, I don't care what y'all do. And he was really, just a really real guy. You know, I mean, he, he was pretty. Real, real dude I've ever met. He told truth. He said it like it was. If he didn't agree with something, he was not going to get peer pressure into doing what he didn't think was right, which was super cool because. I mean, he was so firm, like if everyone was doing something and he'd have no problems, they'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And people, come on, Clay, you, you did be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not about that. I don't, that's not me. And he had no problem representing yeah. the skin he was in. He knew who he was. He knew what he believed and he, he knew right from wrong. And he held himself to that standard. And that was also how he showed the ones he cared about the most by, I mean, I was definitely the one who get into more things and trouble more. And there's multiple times he would have no problem, like, ripping me. And for me, like, 
that opened my eyes. Like, you know, that helped me. And he really had a, had a relationship with Jesus and would read the Bible. I mean, shoot, he was, From a, he kid. was a kid and, and was reading baby. Like, Revelation. That was his favorite <laughs> book. And, and like, that's where he based his, like, whatever you want to call it, like foundation, uh, conviction, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it. It was based in that truth, the truth of the Bible. It was kind of always about the right thing. That's not right. And he stood up for it. He always did. He was a kid and he would walk around, you know, with Revelation one-liners and a, and a tool belt. And he wanted to build stuff and he wanted to fight. He wanted to be an army guy, you know. So that's why we always say right now he's in the He's doing something in the Lord's army now, but he was, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL because he wanted to do what was right and fight for the the people that were oppressed. All his friends growing up, if they were underprivileged or oppressed, what he, if he thought that in his life, those were his guys. That's it. Those were his guys. He was a light too. He didn't walk around like a, like a stiff, he was like, had a contagious laugh, like just energy, just like a, friends with everyone man i mean like just a guy's guy and just fun loving like just you couldn't miss him if you walked by and cj still has texts and he has texts and mom's got texts where as that guy when he saw you going off course or doing something wrong he would tell you this and he'd always finish it you know something like all right i'm gonna say this one time and this is what you're not doing you got to understand who you are and what matters and what this even as a not necessarily going off wrong it was like in the NFL when, or just when, when you're first, battling when I was battling like I, I started um, like 0-4 my first four starts and I mean I was depressed I was hurting you know like it was tough like it was a stressful time in my life and I remember the text I got from Clay it was so long like a book and it was the best text I've ever gotten and I read it before every game and I mean it's just so clay to a T just how he was just I look at you and I'm so inspired you can be whatever you want to be in the NFL I look at you and you're you're up there you can be the best player in the NFL and and all this stuff like stuff that I didn't necessarily believe in myself like this dude, he's like, I mean, he ended it with me. He's like, every time you walk out on the field, you inspire me. And that that's just that's something that every time I walk out on the field, it's like that thought in my head just really helps me. And, and um, that text. and Yeah, I mean, his, wise, his loyalty you know? was off the charts. These guys were his, you know, his best, best friends. friends. That night was a, just one of those worst nightmare nights we it's one of those things we had we've gotten that call several times throughout our our lives you know an after midnight call that you, you don't want to get clay it was his first night home from college he got a call from one of his best friends from high school and he just uh hey i'm gonna go over here and hang out all the guys are back in town for christmas i'm gonna hang out at a house they were Texted his mom and said, I'm going to probably come home. And it was 11-something. Right around then, 11.30, he said, leave the door up, open. I'm coming home in a little bit. And then he said, no, I'm going to, there's more high school buddies downtown at this place. We got a call at probably 2 in the morning from CJ because nobody nobody knew uh, our number. So I was uh, I was in bed and uh, it was like twelve thirty at in California. We played on Saturday, so it was a Friday night. We were in the team hotel and I got a call from a number I didn't see, 
and I just let it ring and went back, tried to go back to sleep. But then I heard my phone ding at a text. And I was like, this is weird. So I checked my text and it said, call me something bad just happened. And it was his friend. And he said, he told me what happened. And, uh, and then I was, my heart just sank. And the way he made it sound, he's like, yeah, he's, they're rushing him to the hospital right now. And so I was like, oh gosh. And then, so I had to call my mom. I called my mom and told her and, and I remember the phone ringing, and and I heard, I heard his voice kind of through the phone. She's like, "Yeah," and she was like, "What?" And I heard her say, "What?" in a way that didn't sound right. So I turned, I sat up, and he, she hit the speaker, and she said, "Yeah, he was stabbed, stabbed." What? We got there, and, and just the way it just, you just felt something was wrong. When we got there, and we we walked in, and um, there was a room over here of, of policemen, and they, you know, I might have been extra sensitive, but it seems like through that glass window in that room, they all looked like there's uh, one of the families. There were some kids just on phones and nerve, you know, walking around crying and everything, and I was like, what? If it's just got stabbed in the side, what is the craziness about? What did y'all see that, and no one would literally be honest with us and tell us what they saw. And uh, I remember a, an un, out of uniform, a detective coming in and he asked us a few questions. Thank God he didn't say I'm from homicide or whatever, you know, but he was, and he was out of uniform and the way he conducted himself, I was like, this guy's trying to get it, gather evidence. Something, one of these kids did not make it. Then so, it was like, family, uh, we're, who's the family? Y'all go wait in a separate room. And then it was like, oh, okay, this is kind of weird. And then waiting there for a while. And then when they were like, doctor's going to come out and talk if y'all want to wait in the chapel. And it's like, oh, man. Now my heart breaks for the, the social worker that was trying to keep us and I saw her eyes go to the cap chapel door, and I, I said, I don't want to go in there. And she goes, why not? And I said, because I know what that room means. And she was like, uh, oh, oh, no, no, no. They, they, it's just a private place for uh, certain rules and regulations and stuff. It'd just be a better place to go. And, and uh, we went in there, and when those doctors, those three doctors came in in scrubs, I don't think there was I don't think there was any doubt. He went to past tense pretty fast. He said, "So let me tell you uh when Clay came in uh this was going on and then we tried or we got this taken care of and then it just this and but by then those words by then and then he was and then he, and you're just going, I was like, okay, what? Every word and every sentence they said that didn't end with, he's going to be okay. It was just like yeah. delaying the inevitable, like just sitting there like, you know, as soon as it was obvious that he was saying like, couldn't fix his wound or his, his heart, you know, couldn't repair. Like it was too late or whatever. I remember I, that was it. I stood up. And yeah, he was gone. walked out, and as I was walking out, like I mean, I'll never forget you. <laughs> I just heard you being like, "No," you know, like, "Oh no." 
you talk about the most like hopeless feeling like being stuck in that hotel in California it was like I felt so like like just hopeless I wanted to be there so bad and uh, like when and then uh, like the uh, the worst phone call I ever got was my dad called call me back and I just felt it on his voice it's one of those dark places in my head that I, I don't like to go to because it was like the worst it's like the darkest place that I can go to is when I got the call I could feel it on my dad's voice he said all he said it was buddy he passed and then uh, I just couldn't believe it and it's pretty uh, that was it still surreal the only thing that that possibly got us through this is is at the end of the day our core foundation we we were all at least rooted with the mindset of knowing the only way to get through this which is diving in and, and asking Jesus and, and relying on the Lord to to handle so it was like that was the core foundation that we all knew in our family it's like working together it's it's the epitome of a family coming together mm-hmm. and understanding what we're all going through and each and every one of us uh, are handling it different and each and every one of us are having different days, you know, because it comes in waves and each and every one is different for, for all of us. So, I thought it was just so inspirational how my mom and dad handled the whole thing, just like how, uh, how like, it shows us how tough they were and and how strong they are. I mean, literally, it was that I would I would battle. I'd have my time, and then we all offset and we all kept each other, you know, balanced. Like Susan had her time, and then it seems like when she was strong, I was in the tank. When you start realizing this is not all there is, even as Christians, then you have to go reaching and digging deeper. And we started we hunkered down, and our house turned into a church. Ever since Clay left. Every Tuesday night, basically. Yeah, we always we started the family Bible study, and and these guys, it's it's changed. It's it's been awesome. Like Tucker will call on a Friday night. He'd be going, "Hey, who's down for a Bible study tonight?" And it's like five in the afternoon. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm going. We're having a Bible study mm-hmm. night because he wants to. I mean, it's just that's crazy. That would well, never like my, have happened. It's before. like our favorite part of the week too. Like they go for like hours, like a couple. Of hours. We literally read one chapter most of the time. We talk about it for hours, and then it goes on tangents about the Bible, about Scripture, all this other stuff, and it's just really good conversation. And I mean, I love it. I mean, we dug hard looking for hope. Yeah. And and we started finding answers. I mean, things that, man, this guy, he is who he says he is. It's just like, man, wow, it really is true. Like, it really works. You know, I, I knew that. But, like, to see it real in a situation, like, it, it just grows your faith and, and, your, and your relationship to a point to where it's like, wow, man. And then... So we were just feeding off each other about who God is and what he really has for you. And and all of a sudden, the despair turned into some gigantic hope, you know. I mean, we're still, we were still beat up, sad, and we're never going to get over that. But there's, but it's all in hope. I can't tell you how many people reached out to me that have been through losing someone they love so close. In similar ways, it's like you can preach 
truth to other people. You have a testimony that reaches not just the quarterback that lost his first five stars. You know, it's like, man, this is real life stuff that you can talk to people that are going through some real stuff and tell you how you got through it. Like, man, this is the worst stuff we've experienced and you wouldn't wish this upon anybody. But, man, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's God. I remember right the first moments just reading some promises of comfort. And I just meditated on him. I go, okay, I'm gonna hold you accountable for this. I need you. I need you. Next thing you know, for some somehow, some way, you found some joy, a little 10 minutes of peace and joy in your day. That was first days. I, I literally used to pray, like, God, please let me be the first one to go in my family. Because like, I can't, I wouldn't be able to handle it. But I totally underestimated who can handle it. I totally underestimated the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just the bottom line, you know? That, that's all that really matters, you know? And it's like with him, like, man, this world can't phase you. You know, it can hurt and it can suck and it can break it down, you know, and this or that, but it can't. It, like, you have like almost like a, like you're bulletproof, you know, for whatever the world throws at you at the end of the day, you know? As far as Jesus calling, I I been doing that for years. I mean, we've had school, it. We've been reading Jesus calling for. I think my wife, mom, got me one, and, and like I'm like so like pretty ADD and and like on the road. Well, I've had that, and it was like, man, this is like awesome. This is super super easy. Like I couldn't go anywhere on the road without having it in my bag. Really, I remember that really put the whole relationship thing into context for me when you take scripture and then and match it with his voice talking to you i thought that was yeah awesome so that was great to, and it was uncanny how a lot of the times a lot of those days were right on like man mm. i'm here today you know and most people we know hey did you read jesus calling today i'm right there and it's you know and or whatever or been, i just flip to like a random page every time and it's just like man it's, that's the coolest thing about it like you said that as far as like relationship, as like that, it did. It, that's exactly what it does. It, I used to post them on my Instagram stories like every day, like daily. It's been part of our days for years. As he reflects on the way God has walked his family from despair to hope, Casey reads the September 23rd passage of Jesus Calling. A bruised reed I will not break, and a dimly burning wick I will not extinguish. I know you sometimes feel as weak and helpless as a bent reed or a faintly burning flame. Accept your weakness and brokenness, beloved. Let them open your heart to me. You can be fully yourself with me because I understand you perfectly as you tell me your troubles. I refresh you and offer you peace that surpasses all comprehension. Instead of trying to figure everything out, Lean on me in confident trust. Go off duty for a while, trusting that I'm watching over you and working on your behalf. My healing work within you is most effective when you are resting in my watchful care. Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. For I have compassion on you. Whenever you're feeling weak, and wounded, come confidently into my presence to receive abundant love and peace.
As far as forgiveness, I think, and uh, my grappling and trying to figure it out, I remember going to the vengeance part where the Lord talks about vengeance is mine, you know, and treat your neighbor like you would treat yourself, even your enemy. That's who your neighbor is. And, and it's like that seems impossible. That's absolutely impossible. And you're going, but, but think about, I really did. I just started going to a place going, God took me to a place of going, man, something drove this kid to that place. He hurt. It doesn't take away where it doesn't stop where it's not going to bring Clay back. You know, see, we're forgetting that when you start, when you come to a point where you go, oh, yeah, he's in a better place. It's not just a bumper sticker. He really is. We are all in the hard place, including this other guy. This guy had been passed off and cast off, and I know he'd been in and out, out of jail, but he's, you know, obviously, obviously, it, you talk about broken, you know. And, and the Bible says that all the angels rejoice when one, one of God's sons, one of his children comes to him. That one that is lost is all get out. And they just, because he loves us all the same, and when you can go, okay, but you can't love him. But well, yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Bring all your stuff. Like my buddy told me, bring all your stuff. I had some junk too, you know, and I brought it to him and he, and he forgave me. He forgives me every single day. What's it gonna help me to be, in fact, it would be like killing another person that's gonna take my, everything away from me, my living away, being so mad and want vengeance for that kid. And on the other hand, I think it would help us all, and actually the Lord says it would help us, is if we could come to that place where, if we, it's not for, it's not for him. It's for us to give him forgiveness. It just set me free. I remember people coming to me, man. That I hope he rots in hell. You know, it's like, not at all. But I hope he comes to find Jesus Christ. Oh, I see him in heaven someday. Honestly, like, yeah, of course. Heaven to me used to be this thing that you, you talk about. You tell people, yeah, you know, you die, you go to heaven, and but now it's like, man. I'll, our it's best friend deal. is there. That's where he's at. So it's like, man, you start researching, getting in the Bible about where, what heaven says and what's stuff about heaven. And it's like, man, that's where he is. And you, like, I truly believe it. I know that's where he is. So it's like, and we'll be there someday. And, and man, I know I'm going to get to see him again someday. If you'd like to hear more stories about finding hope in the middle of painful loss, check out our interview with country music artist Eddie Montgomery of the duo Montgomery Gentry. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with entertainer and author Kathy Lee Gifford. Since she was a little girl, Kathy Lee has been a dreamer. And now she's spending her days inspiring kids to ask themselves a new question to help them craft their futures. I truly do believe that we ask the wrong question, basically, of children. And people ask me this my whole life, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think that's the wrong question to ask children. I think it's not what they want to be so much as what does God want you to be? What dreams did he put inside of you that he will use for his glory to make your life rich and abundant and joyful and blessed? Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? 
Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.